Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. I'm Ryan Rutan, joined as always by my partner and CEO of Startups.com, Will Schroeder. Where are you over there? I don't <laughs> know yet, honestly. This is our first video uh, video podcast, so uh, we'll have a few things to figure out. You're either over here or over there, but I, I don't know, I'm, I don't know I'm where in, you are. I'm yet. one of those locations. I'm, I'm staring just to, so, so people know I'm staring at a monitor so I can see you. And then audience, hello there. Uh, I'm Will Schroeder. I'm not Ryan Rutan. <laughs> Oh, I love this. Uh, this is great. I can finally see you. Normally, I'm staring yeah, off into I the know. abyss. Uh, no idea what you actually look like. And here we are uh, together I'm at usually last. laying in a hammock doing this. So this is far <laughs> less comfortable. All right. Well, so we got a cool topic today. Um, and it's one that I think uh, a lot of us have struggled with. And certainly, we get lots of questions about this from, from listeners and uh, fellow founders alike. And that is... Do we need to be good managers as founders? Like, what's our responsibility as as managers? Yeah, well, it's interesting to me because the day you incorporate your company, you're all of a sudden a manager. (laughs) You can (laughs) hop online right now and within 60 seconds or less, become the CEO of a company. And by way of that, you are now the chief executive officer of your company, which, if you really think about it, is silly. Because all of a sudden, just by virtue of founding something, you're at the top of the stack you're now a manager. You're probably a manager of just yourself, but you're a manager all the same. Yeah. And and I think about that and I think, boy, are we unqualified for that. It's like becoming the president. Like <laughs> nobody's right. qualified for this job. And yet, you know, no. we all get it in some capacity. So why don't I why don't I start with the opposite from the, you know, can can founders be good managers and kind of say a little bit different. How the hell would a founder become a good manager? I <laughs> mean, like given yeah. where we start. Um, unless we were already a good manager going into this. Yeah, which certainly a scenario that happens, right? People, you know, spend years in corporate America or corporate somewhere and then end up bailing out to start their own thing once they're so frustrated they can't survive there anymore. Those folks probably have a different managerial background, but that wasn't my story. It's not your story. (laughs) But what I think about, what I think is interesting in this case though is it's thrust upon us. It's thrust upon everybody. Like whether we like it or not, we're going to become a manager in this capacity. That's right. And where that gets interesting is there's lots of jobs where you don't necessarily have to become a manager. I, I see this in sure. a tortured way uh, as far as path, Ryan. When I see things like uh, a great developer that wants yeah. to grow as a great developer, she loves to code, but because she's so good at coding, she has to become a manager. And to me, that's, that's right. always you know a huge miss because she was a great developer. She didn't want to become a coder. I'm sorry, become yeah. a manager, right? It's the Peter principle, right? You exactly. get promoted to your highest level of incompetency, right? You keep getting promoted until you can no longer do the job and then you stay where you're not good at your job. Fantastic and, idea. And, yeah, and so what I think about is I think founders are often the same way. Founders start not because they wanted to be the chief executive officer or C-level position or a manager for that matter, right? right. Founders started because they cared about some problem that they wanted to fix. Yes. And maybe that made them a product manager. Maybe it made them a developer, made made them a marketer, et cetera. But it didn't necessarily either qualify them or intend for them to ever become a manager. Sure. You know where I see this most, Will, is when when we run into folks who have started something like a small agency or they're doing freelance, Right. And then they end up growing this little agency to the point where now they're managing people. I think there's a big difference when you set out to build a company 
versus yeah, set up yeah. to solve a problem, right? If you're just trying to solve a problem, like you just, here's some work I like to do, but I'd rather do it for myself. Um, I think that's one thing. When you begin, you know, you're, you're setting out to build a scalable company, you probably have some expectation that you're going to become a manager. But in the case right. of a freelancer, um, the small agency, you just accidentally become one. Um, and, and to your point, quite often uh, against your, your own desires, which is uh, a tough thing to deal with. Well, I mean, Ryan, you dealt with it. Uh, and I've mentioned this in other, in other episodes, but I dealt with that firsthand. I mean, I specifically yeah. started an agency that grew to 700 people and at some point walked into work and I said, I hate my job. I mean, yeah. to be fair, I didn't, I didn't hate leading, but I hated being a manager. And I think people don't yeah. quite understand the difference. Leadership says, here's the direction we want to go. I'm going to try to point all cannons in, in that direction managing has more to do with all the resources and all the details behind that, right? You know, one is kind of vision, one is execution. And I, I didn't I, I didn't hate execution, but the the day-to-day drudgery of managing, uh, I couldn't stand. I mean, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't what I signed up for. We've right? talked about this before, but when you start having meetings about meetings. Yes, yeah, Then exactly. you know you're a manager, right? Well, right, and so- for me, I think the the biggest part that really frustrated me was I didn't want to have to be a good manager in order to lead the organization. And sure. I don't want that to sound uh, selfish, I guess, in some way, but I really cared about what we were building. I didn't want to have to worry about where our holiday party was in order to build my company. Right. 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 And it's thrust upon you. I mean, whether you like it or not, it's your job now. Yeah. The question is who's going to clean the office? Where's the office party going to be? Which cable company do we go with? Like there's so many little administrative things you have to deal with that are just not the things you think about when you're like I'm going to become a founder. It's going to be amazing uh, and then I'm going to spend all of my day with administrative tasks. Not the intention, right? Right. And there's this implication that you have to be good at that. Yeah, yeah. Right? You have to care about it obviously, but you also have to be good at it. And here's what I think. And I we'll, we'll obviously dig into this and talk about how people can address it in different ways. But I've come to the conclusion that there are certain people that are leaders and they should be set as leaders in whatever capacity makes the most amount of sense for them. There's other people that are managers and they should stick with managing. They don't necessarily have to lead in the same way. They don't have to set strategy, vision, what have you. They have to make sure shit gets done. And every now and again, you get somebody that can do both. Right. And if you happen to be the person that's both, great. I don't... I don't like pigeonholing founders into a position where they feel like they have to be the best at both. Some people just aren't. And I think when you torture it, it breaks. Yeah, for sure. And we, we talked about this on a recent podcast um, about what happens when I long, no longer like my startup. And one of the things that we both cited as a major reason for that is this you know, baptism into management that, uh, that they're not necessarily prepared for. And then once they're involved and, and it sort of becomes a necessity, they don't enjoy and it starts to create some, some dissonance and, and lack of enjoyment within the startup. It's a, it's a big issue. I think back in the day, the only way you grew uh, was to go through all the levels of management. Like that was yeah. the way. You go to a big company, work at yep. IBM 50 years, get the golden watch kind of thing. And so your ability to be a good manager, to be able to rise through the ranks and, and rally other troops was inherent in kind of rising through the ranks. Yep. But then startup land came around, you know, the world that we live in now, and it just worked backward. Again, you started as the manager, and then you worked backward to see if you were actually qualified for the job. 
where that breaks and, and where I'd love to kind of have us change the conversation when it comes to these things is I'd like it to be, here's what you're good at. Now, there's some things that, that I think we need to develop over time, and that's fine. But we start with, what are your strengths? Your strengths are in product. Your strengths are in marketing. Your strengths are in whatever your strengths are. Let's focus you there and then figure out whether it makes sense for you to ever be a manager. Yeah. yeah. To me, that's that, that's the ideal kind of uh, progression. That said, that's typically not how it goes. <laughs> it, it often ends up there. Right. But I think that uh, especially first time founders will go through, you know, just crashing through the hurdles uh, without ever clearing them and just struggling with the management aspect of it. But uh, and there's a lot that drives that. Right. When you're when you're first starting out, you may not have the resources required to say, oh, well, I'll just hand that off to somebody else. I'll let somebody else handle the management. You may not be able to afford it. You may not know how to hire for it um, because that, too, is a skill. Right. You know, finding somebody who is also a good manager and recognizing that. Um, is uh, was trial and error for me um, the, the first couple of times I did it, right? I knew sort of what I wanted to happen from an execution standpoint. What took me time was to find a person who could take my vision and translate that into the executional plan, right? And, and that can be uh, one of the biggest difficulties is finding that because th- there's, there's not just a skill set issue there. There's a, there's a personality uh, challenge there, right? I've, I've worked with managers who were absolutely skilled managers who, for whatever reason, personality-wise or just sort of style-wise, didn't mesh well with me and couldn't take you know kind of my my high-level thinking and turn that into executional plans and, and run with it. So, it's uh, it's a tough game. Well, here's how I look at it. Imagine on a team, you've got the teammates, you've got the captain, you've got the coach, and you've got the owner. They all play their role, but they play in a different way. I yeah. could be a great teammate. In a shitty team captain, right? Mm-hmm. I could just be a great teammate. I know how to pass the ball. I know how to, you know, make sure that everyone's where they need to be. Um, and I'm doing my job. And yeah. frankly, that's that's where most founders start and frankly, where they should end. The next is I'm the team captain. In that case, I'm trying to make sure everyone on the field is doing what they're supposed to do. I'm rallying the team. I'm the, the leading team member. And by the way, I also think that's how startups start. They start with the CEO as the team captain but they're yeah. very much part of the team. It changes though when you're the team coach because now all of a sudden you have to instruct people that aren't you and aren't your teammates per se yeah. to get the work done that needs to get done yeah. and hope that they get it done to the best of your instruction, not the best of your contribution. Yeah, you can't same. score goals for them. Yeah. You go a level above that and you're the, the, the GM or the, 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 the owner of the team. Now you have to hope that you hire coaches who make the team members uh, do what they're supposed to do, and you're even more removed from it. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people are well-suited, well-experienced, or well-intended enough to make that entire progression, to start as a team member and make it all the way up to the owner. I think those yeah. are different skill sets. It is a different skill set, and, and we've seen this play out a couple of different scenarios where you get people who kind of move through the ranks of their own company and, and end up kind of transcending into or being pushed into an ownership position um, where they're no longer, you know, even instructing the people who are doing the work, they're a level above that. Um, we've also certainly seen it through acquisition. And, and that's an entirely different thing, right? Where you, now you have somebody who doesn't even have the same level of intimate knowledge of the organization who comes into this ownership position, right? And, you know, we've, we've been through 
plenty of acquisitions at this point. So we know <laughs> we know this pain firsthand. Um, there's, there's a lot you have to get caught up on. Um, and you're often trying to direct from the balcony uh, what's happening on the dance floor or even from further away, right? You, you may be sitting over in the box office calling in and say, like, what the hell is happening down there? Um, and, yeah. And trying to make it work, right? And that's, that's, uh, that's a whole different skill set. Well, again, I think we all start as team members, Ryan, right? So yeah. it's, it's me and you, uh, you know, in the office working together. And we hire maybe two other people. And we're like, we're yeah. managers. Not really. No. Right? I mean, at, at that point, the organization's super flat. Uh, we're all teammates. We're all taking out the trash, so to speak. We're all getting stuff at the same time. And what's interesting about that is while there is a little bit of management to it, you're, yes, maybe you're yeah. changing some people's salaries annually or, or dealing with some, some personal problems. That's not really where you learn like management at a gross level. Sure. And so I think what happens is in the formative years uh, among startups, we get into a place where we think we're good managers and what we really are are good teammates. Yeah. And, and for a while, that's fine. That's, that's, that's all that matters. You know, at, at any company I've worked at, startups.com, Ryan, when it was just five or six of us in a room, um, I just needed to be a good teammate. You know, yeah. I basically just need, needed to not be an a-hole. Right. Yeah, right. I was trying to get stuff yeah. done like everybody else. Hire the right people and just let everybody get their work done. Yeah. At that size, management is far less of an issue. It's really just you bet. observation and maybe light redirection to follow the vision. And outside that, very little management. I think, I think you start to see the transformation in a, in, a, in a couple of kind of different levels. I think one place you start to see it is when, again, you have to hire other people that manage other people. I think you really sure. start to understand management when work needs to get done that you don't control, right? Even a manager can say, well, you know, I've got a team of people and work gets done that I don't control. And that's true. That is true yeah. to an extent. Yeah. But you don't feel it at a founder CEO level until, or any C-level exec position until you take even a step further back and you're further removed from the work. Someone yeah. else has to relay your orders in order to get it done. That's when you start to see how good of a manager you are. Yeah. when you can be removed from the work and still be efficient. No, I'd agree with that. I think two degrees of separation plus is where real management science kicks in, right? And you, and you either have that management skill or you don't. Um, you may learn it. But I think at two degrees of separation or more from the actual work being done is really where that starts to become very apparent that it is a different skill set and a, and a different, um, different activity altogether. And some people are well-suited for that. Yeah. The thing is, they're typically not necessarily founders. And I'm not, I'm, yep. not, I'm not trying to make an argument here for a second that founders aren't suited for management. I, I, you know, I, don't, I don't think either of us feel that way in any capacity. No. But I do feel like this is kind of thrown upon us and we're expected to have this level of competence that there's no way we could possibly have because in a lot of cases, we've just simply never done it before or we've never done it with the stakes we're talking about. And, yes. and let, me, let me paint this picture, Ryan. So in this case, uh, stakes for stakes at this level, Ryan, you and I are, are running a startup, and let's say there's ten people. I'm not knocking the stakes, but we're not running Facebook, right? Right. If we screw something up, we could probably all get in a room by the end of that day, yeah. and actually fix it. Yep, reconcile. Yep, for sure. If Mark Zuckerberg screws something up, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. He'll be dealing with it for years. Yeah. Right. Um. And and, and again, I'm just pointing out that the size of the organization does matter. It's easy to look like a good manager with a small team 
until you start to it's, until this thing starts to get bigger and bigger. Sure. Yeah. And you start to realize there's a point where you can't command an army quite that big. Yeah, I mean, to your point, when it's still a really small organization, you're doing very, very little management. I'd say at that point, it's it's almost more of a supervisory role, right? You're, you're sort of there and you're seeing what's happening. You're observing, you're taking note, you're making sure everybody's on task, but you're not managing a work process. You're not necessarily showing somebody how to do anything, right? You're hiring people that should know what they're doing. Um, and then you have to kind of lean back and do your own thing. Because that's the other thing. At the, at the early stages, yeah. the founder's working just as much as anybody else. It's not like you're just sitting back with, with tented fingers um, and, and you know, expecting things to show up on your desk fully, fully complete. You've got a desk full of work too, maybe more so than anybody else. Agreed. Agreed. And look, I don't think this is particular to the founders. And I think you can appreciate this too. The, the thing that happens most often with uh, small companies, you know, as small startups as they're growing, is this is one of the most common. Um, Johnny came on the team and he was the the only dev that we had. And so we called him CTO. Yeah, right. And I, I, I can't fail to mention this. In any other capacity, in any other company, he would never have the credentials to be a CTO. But because he was the, he was the one-eyed man in the land of the blind for our yeah. company, yeah. You know, he could take the title. No different than the founder got the CEO title. So you know, again, I'm, I'm pointing out the titles came pretty yeah. loosely. Which is fine. Now, which is fine at the time. Uh, no harm done <laughs> at the time. Yeah. But here's what happens. Um, the business grows a bit. And we start to hire more and more developers. The team's growing. Johnny had never managed anybody in his life. He just happened to be the only developer that was there. A few years go by. It's clear among the development team that Johnny is definitely not a manager in any right. capacity. Right. He just happened to be there the longest and got grandfathered a title because he was there first. Yeah, None of that translated to him actually being qualified for this job. Here's where it gets gnarly. And you, and you can find, replace Johnny the developer or CTO or whatever with you know anybody else. Yeah. Um, you have this problem, again, this is the CEO as well, where the organization outgrows them, right? Where they were fine in a, quote, managerial capacity for that moment. Yes. But then the organization grew, and they needed to be a big boy manager, and they weren't. And you know what? Not their fault. And I just want to make this clear. Not their fault. They, they were a good soldier, hopefully. Yeah. They did everything that they were supposed to do. But but what, <laughs> what blew up, and again, this is the same case for the founder or anybody else, is the organization at some point had demands that they couldn't meet. Right but they didn't want to say as much. Yeah. And it's a really I've, tough position for everybody, right? At that point, then there's only sort of two choices, right? Johnny has to leave or Johnny has to step down and which take, is brutal. take a lower role. It's brutal. It's the right move, right? Because there's a reason that that that, that has to happen, right? It's been right. proven objectively that Johnny's not qualified to, to lead that part of the organization to manage those other people. And yet it's it's something that most people can't stomach. I don't know that I've ever seen it happen where somebody needed to step back and didn't. They'd rather try to jump to another company and they may take that lower role somewhere else. And somehow right. that I is mean, more acceptable socially, right? And, and of course, because you don't have to step back yes. amongst your peers. You get to go somewhere else with strangers and be That's Johnny the, the analyst part. level three versus right. having to step down in front of all the people you worked with for the last five, six years. Part of the difference though is Johnny has somewhere to go. Yeah, if you're the founder slash CEO, the only place that they can put you 
is the chairman role. You know, uh, I, I we've been promoted to chairman, and, and I've been promoted to chairman before. You know what that means? You've been basically fired and put to pasture. I would say it's, it's, it's exactly being put out to pasture. You can no longer run the race. Here's some nice grass. Enjoy. Exactly. If, if you ever hear of somebody saying that their next move is head of strategy or chairman, yeah, it's a it's a really kind way of saying they were shown the door in some capacity uh, with, with a very graceful exit. Now, yeah. I'm not saying there hasn't ever been a positive, useful version of that, but it's rare. Yeah. Regardless, uh, the CEO often doesn't have somewhere to go. So he, here's why that's a problem. I'm the CEO and I'm a manager. If I admit that I'm not a good manager, where am I going to go? Right, I can't just be part of a team somewhere, right? right. Every now and again, uh, I'll become the CMO or I'll become the uh, uh, the CTO if I were technical or you know, like there's another part of the business that I can run. Yes, but rarely, rarely it rarely. means if I admit that I'm not qualified, I'm fired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had kind a, of I had a problem go through this not too long ago. It, he um, he played a little bit differently. It was interesting because he actually wanted to shift from CEO to chief product officer. He was a developer, right. um, eventually started his own company and uh, grew that to decent decent size, but uh, a little over 5 million MRR, uh, or uh, uh, ARR rather. And um, from that point, he realized that he wasn't the one that was going to lead the organization um, from an executive management standpoint to, to glory. Um, but he felt like they were falling short on the product side, and he really desperately wanted to go uh, be the chief product officer and went to his investors and said, hey, guys, let's, let's hire a CEO. Let's go find somebody. Um, there wasn't anybody internally they could promote, so they, they did a little search, and uh, they've got somebody that's been filling that role for about a year and a half now. Things are going well, but that's the one case that I can cite uh, where <laughs> somebody kind of electively was like, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I want a different job. Um, and, you know, look at it as a step back. I mean, for him, he's the kind of guy that just, he loves, loves, loves building product. And so for him, uh, the trade-off in title was meaningless. The the trade in terms of how he gets to spend his day was very, very impactful. Super happy guy to know. Uh, now, listen, there's a number of ways to get there. And, you know, I, I yeah. think we're, we're going to talk about this in, in different capacities as far as what we do when that time arises, you know, like, like how do we basically keep our jobs and, you know, make up for the fact that that we're not great managers at the same time, and and, and yeah. I, we'll get this to this you know, later. For the time being, though, I, I want to point out that eventually it catches up with us. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> eventually, no matter how much we fake it till we make it, it is going to catch up with us. Um, and the problem is, it's going to catch up with us in a shitty way. Yeah, right. Everyone else will have known. That we are a crappy manager. Right? This yes. isn't like right. it's not this like isn't we're a in a meeting. To anybody you know. but the manager. Yeah, exactly. It's not like we're in a meeting and all of a sudden we're like, guys, I have a true confession. I'm a terrible manager, and there's a gasp all over the room, right? right. And like, oh my god, what? You're what? Yeah. You're a terrible manager? I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't work like that, right? I mean, the the truth is, uh, long before we come to this realization, everyone else becomes painfully aware of what a crappy manager we are. Yeah. I would change and that so, turn of phrase used just slightly. It's not fake it until you make it because most, most founders don't truly like settle into like a great managerial role and, and skill. It's fake it till you break it. 
right? Ah, that's and, a great way to put it. Then that's yeah. the point at which <laughs> like that a lot. Yeah, then, yeah. then it's like now we got to do something about this. Uh, everything's going to shit really quick. What are we going to do? And and that's the point at which you have to transition out. You have to do something else. So let's talk about that. It, it, what do we do? Well, look, and usually it, it it coincides with a key moment in the business, right? Yeah. Um, one of the ones that I always find is uh, if you've got another person on the team that needs to go, right? A key executive, yeah. something like that. And they need to go. And you've never really fired anybody. You've you've talked to somebody about things not working out and they yeah. left, right? You've never had to do the hardcore, hard conversation where, where someone yeah. could even leave the room crying. Look, it does happen. Yes. Uh, and have to man up and have that conversation, right? Um, that's when you can tell whether somebody's a good manager. Not the only time. That's just one sure. example. It's a great example. Um, or major crisis. Yeah. Shit hits the fan. Yeah. Right? And you, at that point, you're either leading and managing all those resources, getting everybody back on board, getting everybody back to work, um, or you're not. Yeah. Crisis time is one of those crazy, crazy crucibles where, and, and you really do need both leadership and managerial ability at that point. Um, whether it's in one person or not matters a lot less. But, you know, if, if you're still in that situation where you're, you're sort of the, the founder or manager kind of doing it all, the, the crisis can, you know, we've seen, we've seen this repeatedly where crises are, are very mismanaged. And again, it takes, it takes both, right? You have to have the vision to be able to see how to navigate the crisis. And then you have to have the managerial skill to execute the, the strategy behind that. And um, boy, lots of case study around that not going well, unfortunately. Well, two ways to look at it. You know, you can interview a manager and you can say, uh, walk me through the biggest crisis that you've ever managed. And the manager can say, well, I'm such yeah. a good manager. We just don't have crises, so I don't have to deal with it. I'm like, well, you know, lucky you. You've never worked for me before, pal. <laughs> you've never worked at a startup, apparently. Um, but, but to be fair, uh, again, I'm not saying crisis is the only way you can, you know, prove that you're a manager, but yeah. it sort of comes up. Um, right. You know, uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, when the market turned, uh, we had to let go of about 40 people. It was just kind of proactive cost cutting to make sure that, you know, things weren't going to go wrong. Up until yeah. that point. It's the agency world. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Up until that point, our managers were all stellar. They were all on top of their game. The day of the firings, I'll never forget this, the day of their firings, every single one of their doors were closed. Every single one of them were basically hiding under their desks while yeah. uh, me and one other person were going around doing all the, the, the layoffs, I guess. Um, and I remember thinking about that. I remember, th where, were, where were you guys um, when things were going well? Well, you had open door policy. You were running around yeah. telling everybody how you are part of the team, et cetera. But the moment things came off the rails for a minute, you were gone, right? To me, yeah. that is not the test of a good manager, right? Or a good leader for that matter. Again, I, 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 I go to be careful yeah. about how we um, combine these concepts. But in my mind, a, a, a great leader, a great manager, it can show, they can have the battle wounds of adversity and say, you yeah. know, I've, I've taken something from nothing or I've taken something that should have been huge, right? Uh, this will be dated someday, but take where, where we, what we work went through this year. Right. Yes. the The person that manages them out of that is a hell of a manager. And I'm not saying yes. again. I'm not saying it's the only criteria, but if you were to look at Adam, the guy who got them into that, and how everything was on the upswing, great leader, not necessarily a great manager. Yeah. 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 Now I think that yeah, crisis time really is the Super Bowl for managers. Right. This is where you you have your your chance to shine. 
Um, and I think it is probably one of the easiest illustrations of, of good management because, and I think this is one of the reasons it doesn't appeal to a lot of founders. A lot of the rest of management is loveless. It's drudgery, right? It's, it's repetition. It's doing the same thing over and over again, helping other people do the same things over and over again. Um, and, and so it's, and as you said, when things are going well, right. And, and things are often going well when we're hiring people, right. So we're hiring managers in, in good times and it can be really hard to evaluate their performance or to know how they're going to handle a crisis until one comes along. Again, you can ask them about how they've, how they've done. You'll usually get a pretty, uh, pretty biased version of that story. In most cases, you know, really honest folks do exist. Um, but yeah, it's, it's both incredibly important and incredibly hard to be able to assess that at the time of hiring, I think. When we bought Zirtual in 2015, you know, I came to the team, yourself included, and I said, hey guys, you know, we're, we're starting on this path. Uh, I yep. hadn't slept in a while. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, listen, we've got 400 people, 400 employees to deal with. Um, about 2,000 customers to deal with. And we've got about seven days to fix everything. And, you know, one day we'll tell the true behind-the-scenes story that today's not the day. Yeah. What I will say, though, is it became very apparent very quickly who the managers in our organization were. Yeah, It was easy to say, hey, I was a manager of XYZ when, um, yeah. when things were going well. But in a moment like that, and frankly, like that, that was actually, I mean, a really good outcome. Um, it was. But because of the managers, Right. Yeah, And I think at that point, uh, folks start to understand the difference between leadership and management. And I think that some people, like I said before, have a natural tendency to it. People are just good managers. Uh, you and Elliot are fantastic managers, right? I'm Actually, I'm not being humble. I'm just not that good of a manager. It's not what I'm best at. Um, but, but I also leave that to you, which is why most of the org reports to you guys. Uh, yeah. um, but it's also, you guys have kind of been through the, the, the battles with me. Right, I mean, yeah. we've we've tested it, right? <laughs> a couple, yeah, 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 more than a few. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's how you know we know who kind of fits. We also know there's a lot of folks that went through those battles with us and and didn't make it out the other side. You know, it does happen. Um, Should I pour some of this out for them? <laughs> <laughs> for your homies, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but look, um, I think what we found, and I actually am kind of suggesting this here uh, as I'm saying it, good founders find great managers. You know, in, in in my mind, that's that's so critical. Um, uh, I, I feel like I've got good leadership and vision, Ryan. I don't feel like managing people day to day is is my strong suit, right? So I, I specifically look for people who can kind of fill in that gap. What I try not to do is torture the gap to say, yeah, I'm not great at I'm not great at it, but everyone has to deal with it no matter what, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't think it's 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 fair to anyone in the organization. And let's face it, it becomes torturous for me. For sure, for sure. And we 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 talked about this in in the last episode, which is you know around this this notion of I no longer like being here. And we we cited this again as as one of the major reasons. Um, it's important to recognize that, though. right? And I think we've both seen we've seen founders who are unaware that they're that they're mismanaging. You know, they may be doing a great job of leading. The vision might be solid. Um, they may have even hired some of the right people, uh, but they're mismanaging them and they don't know it. And, th- and that can be, that can be a, a huge challenge. The other one is they know they're not good managers, um, but they don't know what to do about it, right? Great they point. don't know how to extract themselves from that situation 
um, put themselves into a true leadership role and allow somebody else to handle that because they either feel like it's a failure or it's it's an unacceptable cost or, oh, that person's going to replace me because, the, you know, then people are reporting to them and so then I'm no longer important to the organization. Um, none of which is true, right? But I think that tends to be the sentiment of, of founders in that position. If you've never been through it before, you don't know that that's not true. Right. right. That's true. Um, that is very true. I, so we talked a little about, okay, maybe I'm not a great manager or, you know, I'm not sure I'm a great manager. I'm a founder. I got to lead this organization. What do I do? Right. You know, yeah. uh, what's some of the prescription for, for getting through sure. some of this uh, and coming out better on the other side? So let's, let, let's walk through a few things that I think that have, that we've seen work really well for us or, or other founders. Uh, one thing that I, I can't emphasize enough, find at least one, two or, th- or three people that you can shoulder the work with. Right? Yeah, you can say, hey, sure. I'm not a great manager necessarily, but I'd like to keep my job as, as the CEO. Um, right. Here are my essential duties. What can I do with each of the folks that essentially report to me to offload yes. as much of this, of the, when I say the work, I don't, I'm not trying to like defer work. I mean, the leadership, the management, the, the day-to-day stuff so that it falls less on me. So I have less to yeah. screw up. Yeah, we talked about this. Like there, there, there needs to be a better conversation around this in, in founder world. Um, and it's something along the lines of like planned atrophy, right? Mm-hmm. As the organization grows, your, your role has to evolve with that, right? And it should evolve more towards a leadership perspective and less towards a, you know, daily in, in the grind and, and, and managing other people. That should be what happens, right? In order to do that, exactly as you're saying, you have to surround yourself with people who can take those things on and do as well as you were doing or, or better in some cases, right? Again, to the, to the managerial piece of it, you may find people who are better managers than you were, and that's why that has to happen. And in some cases, that's the necessity. In other cases, it's just simply a function of time. Right. You don't have enough time to do everything. As the organization grows, those tasks and the amount of time they take up grow, you have to start to shed some of that. And I think this is just something that too many founders are holding on with both hands to a bunch of stuff they don't need to be doing anymore. Right. Right. And part of it's out of fear of putting it up to somebody else um, or, or, you know, inexperience in hiring managers or whatever, but like, that's got to change. It's not a healthy behavior and it's something that we should work to, to overcome. Here's what, here's what I think is equally interesting. And, and one of the things I didn't know early in my career, I'm much more aware of now in saying to the rest of the team, Hey, I need you to take on more of my stuff. Yeah. If, if anybody on the team is like, yeah, sorry, you know, I'm a little bit too busy now, can't do it. <laughs> they're probably the wrong people. Now, circumstances are vary. Yeah. Your mileage may vary. But yeah. um, that's probably the wrong team member, gen- generally yeah. speaking. The folks that you would turn to and say, hey, I need you to take on a little bit more of this, manage a little bit more management because I'm not as good at it, right? They'll kill for that. They want that responsibility. Yeah. That's why they're there. That's it. Exactly. And so yeah. for us to look at... Um, handing off responsibilities as like this defeat of some sort um, totally overlooks both the capability and the ambition of the very people we brought on board. That's exactly it, right? And, and over time, that has a major deleterious effect on, on the organization. If they have that hunger and they're not fed, they eventually leave. Exactly. Or worse, just become stagnant, like bitter employees. And that's awful, right? And that's really hard to unwind. So yes, so absolutely, this this sort of, you know, plant atrophy, being able to hand things off, super, super important and not defeatist at all, right? That is, that's how things should go. It's good for you, good for the organization, um, certainly good for the managers and, and the ambitious folks in the organization 
to have that pathway uh, for growth. Yeah, I mean, you know, I like seeing um, a Mark Zuckerberg, Sheryl Sandberg combo, right? Where one person can focus on the future, the other person can focus on the present. Um, To me, that's incredibly healthy. Uh, In the agency world, I was able to find um, a lady that was just absolutely stellar. Like she kept the entire organization sane while I made them insane. Uh, Like it was, it was a, it was a great balance, and she did such a phenomenal yeah. job. Um, for for me, um, I think I've been around long enough to understand where my strengths are, and to try to like say like these are things that again day to day management. I just I don't enjoy. I, um, at, at startups, I've got Ryan. I can't. Even, I should probably even know this. It's not that many people. Six people maybe that report to me. Um, yeah. I don't remember the last time I gave somebody an employee review. Like, I don't think I've ever done it, uh, <laughs> ever. Um, and it's just, that's not what's going through my head. I, I should be managing right. people. I don't manage people. I'm, I'm just, again, kind of shitty at it. It's not my strength. But, but here's the important part. It doesn't have to be because everyone else on that, on that group is so good at their job. Yeah. Right? Um, yep. My job, and it has been, my focus should be finding the folks that can do that work and or handing them more responsibility so that the liability doesn't sit out there. Yeah. The more I hoard that, that responsibility and I say, if it's, you know, if, if I'm not holding on to it, then that, that reflects bad on me, et cetera. I'm screwing the very organization that I'm trying to run. Yeah. And unfortunately, this is counterintuitive. Uh, we see it all the time. We've talked about it in a couple of different contexts, but the natural inclination for founders is I'm not good at this aspect. So I'm going to spend a lot of time trying to get better right. at that aspect. Right, like I recognized a long time ago that my left foot was good for one thing in soccer, and that was for standing on <laughs> while I used my right foot to kick the ball. Right, I could have spent a lot of time practicing with my left foot and trying to improve that. Instead, I just stuck with the right, and that's what I was going to shoot with. Right, stick with what you're good at, stick to your strengths. You know, don't ignore shortfalls, and of course, improving yourself is great, but not at the cost of time that could be spent flexing your superpower. If you've got a superpower, use that shit. I agree. If you can be Batman, be Batman. (laughs) Don't do something else, right? No, okay. So, you know, what I would say too is within a startup, we often don't have much time to mess with this stuff, right? So maybe it's going to take us, maybe I'm 25 and it's going to take me 10 years to become a phenomenal startup founder or manager rather. Yeah. Um, And that's great but we've only got three years, right? So, so the organization's growth and trajectory doesn't at all sync up with what my timeline's going to be. So what yeah. my job is as the founder is to say, look, man, it's going to take me a minute. Let me find some people who have already figured this stuff out that sync with yeah. the startup's timeline so that I can play catch up as we go. And maybe someday along the way, I you know get my bearings and I become an actual good manager. But until then... I've got to focus on creating good management, even if I'm not a good manager. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer from our online university 
to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later. Thank you.